Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Feeling Seen podcast, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. My co-host today is one of those Renaissance women, a woman in the modern age of media, which means she does it all, she's done it all, she's probably teaching herself to do more as we currently speak. Uh, you can hear her currently on the podcast with Travel Anderson, friend of the show, friend of this network, member of this network. Uh, we see each other, which is I have been thoroughly enjoying as a wonderful deep dive into a conversation from two people who are of their community that they are talking about. And as Char says, so this is <laughs> this is not 101 dialogue. This is the second semester of your education in vernacular of uh, trans black presence in the world. You can find her bylines and publications like BET and Variety. Um, Char, what do the people need to know about you more before we get going? I, it's kind of one of those things where like I could just keep saying everything, but I feel like you would best speak to your own media image and and career up to this point. Yeah, I mean, listen, you covered a lot, but I mean, you know, I've been I've been a journalist for a, a decade now. I've been in L.A. for about a decade. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm like you mentioned, I'm a renaissance woman yeah. and, and I'm in and of the, the industry and in and of the city. And I'm just monkey barring from from one yeah. thing to the next. You know what it's like. Yep, yep. <laughs> When in your media career did you realize it was monkey barring and not maybe necessarily like a linear ladder climbing thing that perhaps at one time you ha thought that it might be and then you were like, oh, no, no, not in this 21st century media environment. I want to say when I became a permalancer in January of 2019 is when I first realized it, but it took that'll me, be a lesson right quick there. Yes. But you know what? It took me years to get comfortable with it. I want to mm -hmm. say up until this past this past like winter season, like winter yeah. 2022, 2023 um, is when I got comfortable with knowing that throughout the ebbs and the flows, I will be OK. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to panic every winter when every when the lights go dark because <laughs> you've been carried and you've been OK and the work mm -hmm. speaks for itself. Yeah. And so uh, but the uncertainty drives me nuts. I am an earth sign through and through. I am a Capricorn. Mm -hmm. I like stability. I like a degree <laughs> of predict predictability. And yeah. so that's something that I like I said, I just recently got comfortable with. But 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 learning to to embrace um, the the unpredictability of it has been definitely a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a bit about We See Each Other and how where with that podcast with Trey Bell, where do you feel like that fits? Like, I, I really I the first episode of that, I believe it's called The Kitchen Table. Yeah. And it's sort of you guys like setting expectations for what's going to come in the podcast. And, and I cited it in the intro, but where you say like this is this is not like trans 101 this mm -hmm. is this is the second semester it's 2023 we are past that mm -hmm. so i wanted to talk to you about being sort of in the in the ad additional semesters of your career mm -hmm. now with you know all this time and experience behind you and getting you know into this year 2023 and having a podcast like we see each other where do you find yourself in terms of like I am interested in explaining further my existence to people for the purposes of education, or is it sort of like, I'm a bit fucking over that, and if you don't have 
the vernacular already. I'm not really interested in giving it to you. Like as a communicator, where do you find yourself in your relationship with language in that way? That's an interesting question, especially given that it's Pride Month and we're recording this. Yes. Um, because my relationship with my identity is one that's that's very strong. I'm, I'm I've always been headstrong. I know exactly who I am, and I and I've been able to meet the moment. Mm-hmm. However, I am someone who says that my transness is the least interesting aspect about me. Mm-hmm. So when Travel and I, you know, when Travel approached me to to do this, of course I was going to. I mean, I love Travel. I've I've known them for years. We've worked mm-hmm. together on other projects and their book is something that I believe in. Their book is something um is a is a piece of work that's necessary right now. I've mm-hmm. read it, of course, because I did the show. I've interviewed them about the book. And so it was something, it was a little interesting for me because I'm someone who navigates my own personal politic by having my blackness, my womanhood and my transness show up at the same time. But Mm -hmm. the ways in which I express that is I say I'm a black woman who is trans. And I say that because I think that it falls on the ear differently. And then that dictates Mm -hmm. how people then deal with me. Mm -hmm. Um, The pigeonholing that sometimes comes with being visible is is a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. because I am an entertainment journalist through and through. Meaning you do not, I've been in so many meetings where it's like, hello, I can talk to Jennifer Lopez and Brad Pitt and Mary J. Blige. You do not have to only call me when Billy Porter and Michaela J. Rodriguez and Angelica Ross do or Hunter Schaefer does something. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so it's been a very interesting, and you know, there's people that don't agree with me. And I think that's why Trayvill picked me to to Mm. me. I mean, I do good work, but my politics are my individual politics. And there is this... Mm. um, there's this this frame of thought with community that we all must be on the same page, although people will tell you that and none of us are on the same page, especially when it comes to personal politics and identity <laughs> yeah. politics. Yeah. And so that's just something about me. I do not desire, nor have I ever desired to mm-hmm. uh, to walk people through my tr- my transition because mm-hmm. there are things on the books. If you truly want to know, there mm-hmm. are, <laughs> you know, you have your, we carry these things in our purses, in our pockets called phones and <laughs> anything else we want to know uh, answers to, we seek that information. And I always say that there are podcasts. If you don't like podcasts, there are documentaries. If you don't like yeah. documentaries, there are films, there's books. There's so many so many different avenues for the story to be told. And so it's mm-hmm. like when I feel like when people focus on my transness, mm-hmm. it strips away some of my humanity because that's all you ever want to talk about. Mm-hmm, and so that's mm-hmm. why I say it's the least interesting thing about me because it is. I have no real uh I'd say harrowing tale that people look to, you know, people love trans trauma and I'm black on top of that. Mm -hmm, People mm -hmm. love a struggle story. And the truth of the matter is I don't necessarily have that. I mean, I have my struggles, but I I'm college educated. I come from a two parent household. My parents Mm -hmm. are still in my life. They never kicked me out. And so the list goes on and on. And so I disappoint people when I share my story because it's not, they don't, they don't have the language or they don't, they're not upfront Mm -hmm. about it, but it's not what they're looking for from being honest. In, 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 a, in a much less in a, in a way with much less gravity and significance than that, I find that to be like in media, there is that sort of like that sort of branding element that mm-hmm. really asks you to be like to subscribe to things that media people find alluring. And, and the, the thing that I always struggled with, like when I was in journalism more formally, was this like cultural cachet, particularly in the way online forums like writers and writing is discussed, like this emphasis on like 
um, anxiety and imposter syndrome and this like, oh, I wrote a thing and bashfully sort of putting it and like, I was like, am I, I would so often, like I would talk to friends and be like, am I allowed to do this job if I, if I don't hate myself? Like, mm-hmm. am, you guys, am I a legit writer if I don't? Like, like think everything I write is bad or that this career is painful and that mm. the process of it sucks. Like there's this like the way that like in that that notion of like language mattering, like the repetition of language around how we reinforce our character and what we expect of a person or community or category, like whether or not you do so intentionally, it's like, fuck, that repetition really takes hold, guys. And suddenly we're this like monolith of anxiety and introversion and hating our jobs and lives. It's like, no, I'm good. I totally agree. And it, it inadvertently calls more of that energy, I believe, into your I, life. And I it agree. creates problems that weren't always there. And that's how like you speaking to that reminds me of how this year for me has been all about reclaiming my joy. And mm-hmm. so with that, it's been rejecting. I'm not I'm not taking away from the realities of the topsy turviness of this current sociopolitical climate because it's ugly yeah. out here. It's frustrating and it's maddening. But I also recognize as, that as an individual, there's only so much I can do. And mm-hmm. I, I cannot lay what's left of me continuously down on the line to just be ate up and discarded of because that's mm-hmm. what's that's what will happen i've seen that happen so many times before mm-hmm. and i think that we all individually have a calling as far as how we approach certain things and how our activism and how our how our advocacy shows up and mm-hmm. i think that like i said this year has been all about reclaiming joy for me and so for me personally it's been about rejecting certain narratives if mm-hmm. they have not been specifically my lived experience that is mm-hmm. not my story and i want to make the the most of this life and so yeah. i've taken a different approach this year because <laughs> i noticed that you you can get lost in the in the cycle of if everyone around you like you said is saying oh imposter syndrome or approaching their work instead of being like this is awesome reporting that I did. Yeah. And you should read this with saying like, I did a thing. I guess Ooh. I wrote a thing. I talked to Oprah today and <laughs> challenged her. Like, no, I talked to Oprah damn Winfrey today. And this is why you should read it because I'm damn good at what I do. And I'm not making apologies for that. And so, yeah, I definitely think that there are certain powers that be that benefit off of mm-hmm. the group. Think of it all. And, and you are a troublemaker if you rebel against it. This, I think, segues actually perfectly into film choice and uh, character choice because <laughs> I think this I think this um this mentality this courage of conviction and standing in oneself you have brought two can play that game <laughs> from 2001 starring Vivica A Fox as Shantae Smith yes. and I feel like that is that is a thing that Shantae Smith would have told us in one of her asides <laughs> that was a cut aside to the camera from Shantae Smith in two can play that game I'm Shantae Smith Senior advertising executive at Parker and Long. And if you haven't noticed, I'm a sister. An educated, strong sister who remembers where she came from and knows where she's going. But let me ask you a question. Why can't men act right? Hmm? Don't they know that if they acted right, women would gladly give them all the love and respect that they needed? But because they show their asses, we got to check them. Yeah, you know, that movie and it took for me to it always meant something to me, but it took for me to really interrogate the gravity Mm. of it. Right. Because when when you talk about like media representation, a lot of Mm -hmm. people bring these prestige films to the table. And I (laughs) it was gone with the wind or the color purple. And I'm like, no, for me, if I'm being (laughs) honest, I distinctly remember that that film like there were Disney films, I believe, and. 
you know, little, there were little representations in media where I was able to take things from. But as far as a defining moment for me was two can play mm-hmm. that game. I was in mm-hmm. seventh grade. I remember being in middle school. For me, our middle school was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And I remember in sixth grade still being a, a, a crier. Like, I'm still a crier as an adult, but I remember crying so much. Like, anybody could say or do anything to me in sixth grade, and I would cry about it. <laughs> and I remember in seventh grade, there was just so much turn in my life. There was That was the beginning of of something very interesting with my Mm. adolescence, with seventh Mm. grade, I remember that. And that is when this film, around the time that this film came out. And I remember after watching it, I went to the mirror. I've shared this story before. I went to the mirror Mm. and I remember staring at myself and kind of, you know, tugging at my face and really examining myself. And this film, Two Can Play That Game, starring Mm -hmm. Gabrielle Union and Vivica Fox and Morris Mm -hmm. Chestnut and Anthony Anderson and Monique and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, wow, yeah. it was the first time that I really interrogated gender for myself. Yeah. What a movie of gender. This movie is filled with gender. <laughs> right. Mind you, I grew up with examples of binary gender all around me. Men watching yeah. football, women in the kitchen. Like, I grew up with that. But this film was the first time that I was like, when I am 25, I remember mm-hmm. thinking this. What am I going to look like? Yeah. What am I going? Because I'd already started kind of like experimenting, you know, wearing clear mascara. I had to sneak, mm. putting a, a clear top coat on my on my hands and feet, and doing little things that rebelled against the gender I was assigned at birth because mm-hmm. those things made me feel more comfortable with myself. Those those mm-hmm. presentations, but I was doing them very secretively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still remember that was the first time I kind of interrogated, like at twenty five. Do I want to have the goatee and the briefcase? Yeah. Or do yeah. I want to be with my power suit going to go see my man in my drop top convertible? Um, <laughs> because it's still a very binary world. And so yeah. it was something about and then even just having a strong, strong connection to the women in my life. My mother, mm-hmm. my aunts, my cousins. I'm the eldest of three. I have two little sisters. And mm-hmm. so just relating more like inextricably relating more to femininity and what I viewed as womanhood at the time Mm -hmm. um, versus boyhood and manhood. Mm -hmm. It that's that film shook me. When this is God, what a Petri dish of a movie to see (laughs) the differences between like boyhood and manhood in a like 19, late 90s, early 2000s, like adult like late 20 somethings context and then to see like with like these are this movie is like gender distilled yes, for like yes. our ideas of like how attractive like 20 somethings young adults mm-hmm. like middle like rising adults live in um, cosmopolitan areas like yeah. this is like shit i guess if i'm picking one or the other i'm getting a pretty stark contrast in what those <laughs> yes, options are exactly you're exactly right like it it shook me out of all of the things that I had seen and out of all mm-hmm. of the experiences I had had up until that point, this film, this little itty bitty, you know, uh, play on gender wars yeah. shook me to my core. <laughs> <laughs> we never know where it's going to come from. We never we know. Ne- well, this is actually, this really interests me in specifically in terms of like the very first episode of the show, we had the writer uh, Emily St. James on and she chose Danny Edmidsomar for her character. Okay. And she said that like, she watched that movie very much, very much around her public coming out. 
And I think she had just started, like, was experiencing the world regularly as a woman, presenting as a woman. So Mm -hmm. it was like, it was all new. And she said the thing that really resonated with her most, like the kind of moment, like the moment of connection that was strongest was when you have that breakdown with Danny where Florence Pugh is surrounded by the Harga women and it's the grief breathing and they're screaming together and they're like this notion that like, and and like dancing around the maypole. Yeah. And suddenly it snaps into place that like she's on these drugs, but suddenly she can understand the Harga women around her with no, no knowledge of the language, no awareness of what, but it just clicks in for her. And she said, watching Florence Pugh suddenly understand the world around her as these women were speaking to her was for her akin to the experience of finally being able to live as a woman and be like, wow, oh, I understand this language. Like I am around all of you as you. And we women are experiencing this world together. And this language makes sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I've been on the outside hearing sort of gibberish the entire time. But now, like, I, it's been decoded for me and it's clicked into place. And I've, I've hung on to that as one of my absolute favorite moments from any, like, this entire podcast I've been so lucky to be able to do of, like, wow, that moment of, like, holy shit, like, the decoder kicked in. Right, And suddenly yeah. I could hear the language that belonged to me only because it was so intrinsic to me. That's why I understood it. Like, I didn't need to be taught it. I understood it. Yeah. It's like a big thump upside the head. Like, it was it was the first time I felt that, you know, the gods have mm-hmm. grabbed me by my shoulders and kind of shook me. That film mm-hmm. really planted a seed for me that then determined, I guess, where we are today from, from 13 to 35, you know? <laughs> Oh, hey. Sorry I'm a little pissed off right now, but my best friend Karen is having man trouble. Miss Smith, Tracy Johnson's online too. Tell her I'm in a meeting, but I'll be there in an hour. Tracy, another one of my girlfriends. Man trouble too. (laughs) Seems like every woman I know is having man trouble. I was uh, very fortunate to have a a millennial icon, Kara Brown, the writer, screenwriter, Kara Brown on the show. I love Kara. I was so overwhelmed. The thought of interviewing her, I like had to tell her before we chatted. I was like, I am scared to talk to you. (laughs) I mean, and she was like, oh, no, but okay," like, (laughs) which was perfect. Yeah. And her character was Tracy Lord from Philadelphia Story. Okay. And which made complete sense. And it like what I was wondering, like in that she had it seems like throughout Kara's entire life that absolute strength and presence and persona that Catherine Hepburn brings as Tracy Lord. That wasn't something she grew into. That was something that was always innate yes, to Kara. Yes. And so with like, we meet Vivica in this movie. We meet Shantae as your smartest friend, your hottest friend, your most successful <laughs> friend, your friend with all the good advice. And she's just like, well, these poor girls talking about her friends and their love lives. Yes. Have you always had the Shantae confidence or is that a thing you grew into on your journey to that you at 25, you you visualize? No, I've, I've literally, I've always been confident, always. Excellent. And I Excellent. think that that, you know, really informed and dictated a lot of my transition. I Mm -hmm. think that that informed and dictated the ways in which my parents and family interacted with me Mm because they knew when I presented this to them, when it was a formal presentation, when I said, look, (laughs) this is what it is. All right. They knew that there was no back and forth with it. Okay, this is what it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, both of my parents do make jokes about witnessing my evolution. I'd, you know, go go off to college and every break that I would come home, it would be something different. OK, OK, now the nails are done. And okay. then, you know, I'd be talking like, oh, no, I'd never wear blush and eyeshadow. This is just a little uh-huh. foundation concealer. But every single <laughs> break I would come mm-hmm. home, there would be something new. But mm-hmm. it was not something forced. And I think that that is what, uh, again, informed and dictated even the ways in which I was respected 
because mm-hmm. I've always been headstrong. You're talking to a girl who at three years old, three, four years old, was getting up in front of a congregation of over 200 people and directing the choir, an adult <laughs> choir. Next I to her aunt, you, like singing, but not directing. The well, choir. no, I, I sang too. I sang too, but I wanted so much to be like my aunt at the time, who was the lead soprano, and she also directed mm. the choir. That wow. I would shimmy away. My mom would be in the choir stand. My dad was supposed to be watching me, and I would <laughs> shimmy away and crawl under the pews. Literally to this day, when I go to Chicago, if I run into anybody from that church, they call me the little director. That's what they used to call me because, you know, my aunt would get irritated because everybody would be looking, looking at this three year old instead of watching Mm -hmm. her. But I would be Mm -hmm. imitating her every move and directing this adult choir in front of this large congregation. So I've always been confident. And I think that it's I don't know if my confidence was taught. I, mm-hmm. I genuinely don't. I think it was affirmed, but I, yeah. I do believe that I came into the world fairly confident when I look over my life. You know, I, I do mm-hmm. believe that I was affirmed by teachers and teachers who changed my life. You know, we all have those teachers, right? Yes. Yes. And then, Mr. Gordon. Yes. Love you. <laughs> my, mine was Miss Lass in fourth grade. She was <laughs> Swedish. Um, and so like teachers and like aunts and family. And I had some opposition, but when I... Yeah, I was a headstrong kid. I was a headstrong yeah. kid and a very confident kid. So the Shantae was always there, <laughs> even though in fairness, let me be clear, in fairness, Jordan, I have been every character that was her friends. Like I've cried over men and made mistakes. <laughs> I've acted a fool, you know, but for the most part, even to this day, my friends are like, they come to me and I'm like, are you coming to me for a listening ear or are you coming to me because you'd like advice? Because <laughs> I give unsolicited advice all the time. <laughs> Girl, how do you know everything she says is true? Because nobody knows more about men than my girl Shantae. She's right. <sighs> Sorry, ladies. Shantae, you tell Miss Thing who has the 411 on the fellas. Well, I don't want to toot my own horn, honey, but BB. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she didn't say no either. Well, all I know is whenever I have a problem with my man, I call Shantae because she keeps it real. Ladies, can I get some on keeping it real? Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Keeping it real. <laughs> In listening to We See Each Other, I, I heard you bring up um, two can play that game. And you, I like, there was a part where you mentioned like watching this wasn't necessarily about like seeing like the I'm going to get my Morris Chestnut kind of situation, mm-hmm. but like you, you, you kind of honed in on that ensemble of women mm-hmm. around, around her. And, and you having mentioned like, like having a network of very powerful women around in your life as well. I wanted to hear about you talking about like reclaiming your joy this year mm-hmm. and then having this foundational character when you're young, where you really link with them and in a way even then hone in on like the sorority that she assembles around herself. Mm-hmm. How has the process been for you of like bringing that sort of shield of humanity around you with with your with your women, perhaps your your they's, them's, the the she, hers mm-hmm. in like building that community around yourself? And is that like does she exist as a kind of possibility model in that way, Vivica, in this? Listen, it's it's been an interesting journey. Growing up, all of my friends were women, of course. And I also mm. was the girl group girl. Like, mm. I did not, growing up, my, I did not flock to individual singers. I loved them. I respected the Whitney's yeah. and the Shaka Khan's. And I respected them. But I was always a girl group girl. Always. Okay. I was a huge fan of In Vogue when I was little. I was a huge fan of SWV. I just got back from 
from the UK. I visited the steps that the Spice Girls shot the wannabe video on. <laughs> like I was such a Spice. Fourth grade me was walking around screaming girl power. Okay. <laughs> and then, you know, once they kind of like, I love TLC, but then my heart has been with Destiny's Child for mm. years. They were the first girls that I heard like talking like me. They're talking about gumbo. I, I never heard black girls talk about gumbo, you right. know, in a way in which my family on top might. 40 radio. Right. And so, and so Destiny's Child has my heart even to this day. And that's with the greatness that Beyonce is. I still prefer to see those. Th- it's something about mm. those three silhouettes that will send yeah. me, my my soul will leave my body. I love <laughs> Destiny's Child. I just love Destiny's Child. And so, um, so that camaraderie and that sisterhood and that sorority of it has always been there. I've always marveled at these friendships like Beyonce and Kelly and Oprah and yeah. Gail. Like mm, always Oprah and really, Gail. yes, oh. you know, like I always wanted, you know, and I have yeah. sisters of my own, but we're five years apart. And, and I should mm-hmm. mention that my sisters are twins. So they got their own thing going on. They got their own thing. They yeah. very much have their own specific thing for sure. Yeah. And so for me, um, my journey, which has been so interesting because post transition, a lot of my friends became men, like mm-hmm. gay men, straight men. Like it's been weird. Like pre-transition, huh. it was a lot of women. Post-transition, uh-huh. it's a lot of men. I don't know what that says about me or society but I Mm -hmm. did notice that once I transitioned there were I lost girlfriends there were girls that were like oh no mm -mm." and it had nothing to do with like oh I think transition is wrong yeah it had everything to do with like this is a bad bitch you know like they they wouldn't say that but it's like you know like you you, you then kind of maybe entered the um, competitive side of female friendship (laughs) yes I experienced experiencing that was very tough for me and so uh-huh. um it's still something that that means a lot to me and that's with mm-hmm. respect i just turned 35 in january and i've had friendship changes throughout the last like three years and i'm talking about weird friendship changes where there's been no point of contention yeah. but it's like we're no longer in each other's lives which is something yeah. that i still wrestle with because it's easier when you can pinpoint like oh okay we got into this really bad argument at brunch and never recovered yeah. versus yeah. like I look up one day and you unfollowed me. Like, I'm not used to that. Like, especially yeah. at this age, use your words, sweetie, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> like, but the, these are things that have happened, I want to say, st- starting in October and kind of ending in February, where mm-hmm. it was very, very tough for me. But um, I appreciate what I do have and that sisterhood mm-hmm. amongst women and even, you know, with non-binary people in my life. Uh, means the world to me that shared mm-hmm. experience that that opportunity to come together and really show up for one another means the world to me and I'm not taking away from my gay friends but no no of course not. also they're they're doing things like they do their own stuff that I don't have a, like when they go to a circuit party that's not a place for me you know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying you're like I don't need the invite no. and I'm not asking for the invite and they have tried God bless them they're so sweet <laughs> They're like, Shar, you can come. And I'm like, I have no desire. That's not a space for, I know myself well enough to know yeah. that that's not a space for me. And so it's 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 been interesting as far as like finding my footing, especially given how like transness is such a hot button topic right now. We kind of talk yeah. about that on the podcast. Like yeah, absolutely. 2015, 2016, things were different. People were getting fired from their jobs for being transphobes. Yeah. And, and then kind of like this, this, um, 
this ushering of unapologetic ignorance that the quote trans tipping point that yeah, was then followed was, by the Trump tipping point. Exactly. And and what was ushered in and kind of like that stench that's still lingering in the air with people just being unapologetically racist or unapologetically misogynist, unapologetically mm-hmm. transphobic, and how these people have networks now. They get fired from their jobs, and guess what? Another transphobe will hire them. Mm-hmm. So it's oh, it, yeah. the public shaming of the Twitter days and stuff, it's kind of like long gone. I think we've become well, we're desensitized to a lot at this point mm-hmm. where it's just run of the mill. Oh, another quote unquote Karen went off or there's mm-hmm. more black blood in the streets. Oh, a trans yeah. woman was murdered. OK, it's just a regular Tuesday in the state. Well, what's for dinner is, is part of that <laughs> is part of that your your deliberate decision to be like joy. the yes. Year of joy. That is yeah. my that is my resistance, because as a news girl, as a journalist, I was losing yes. my mind. And then there's also this expectation with being visible and a black woman and trans i'm showing up for reproductive rights and trans rights and and i'm on air you know screaming into a microphone when roe v wade is overturned and literally unplugging and not tweeting or Mm -hmm. engaging with social media when i feel like it if and only when because i also found myself i'll be transparent jordan there were times where where i when i get on instagram i can't check people's stories the feed is okay but it's just Mm -hmm. like And I'm someone who's so confident in what's for me won't pass me by. That's what I feel like Mm -hmm. has carried me in L.A. I do not compete with my friends. That is a great point of view to have, like, generally, but God, specifically in Los Angeles. Where there's constantly, did I miss it? Did I miss it? Did I miss it? Did I miss it? Like, to be able to hold on to that is true. That is fucking life-saving. It's something that my parents, specifically my mom, instilled in me, like, back in grade school when I, like, lost a spelling bee and was devastated. (laughs) But it's something, seriously, it's something that I feel like has helped keep me together. I've seen people unravel. That was supposed to be my opportunity. No, it wasn't. That Mm -hmm. was theirs. And even if it was supposed to be yours and they did something shady or shifty to get it, that's Mm -hmm. then their karma to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately that was theirs. Even if they snaked their way up to it, that had their name on it because I believe without a shadow of a doubt what has my name on it, no one can come in between. It will Mm -hmm. find me when it is supposed to. But I say that to say that like, just dealing with the the visibility and 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 kind of that paradox of where do I fit in? That's really kind of shown up for me, which is so odd showing mm-hmm. up for me in my mid. I'm, like I said, I'm 35 and I almost <laughs> feel like where do I fit in when, when mm-hmm. it boils down? Because, you know, it's it's a strange place to be in. But I have full confidence that everything will be OK. But that resistance is part of it. You all will not assign your trauma to me. And when I say mm-hmm. you all, I'm not talking about my community. I'm talking about John Q. Public, who groups all black trans people into one. Think that we mm-hmm. all have one story and that's not the case. Or even all black women, they, they think all black women have one story and that's not the case. And so. Me choosing joy, me choosing different, me choosing to acknowledge that that is your pain, that is your trauma, and we can exist in that, but it is also not my story. So I, that's not my burden to carry, and I won't. Mm-hmm. I will not. That's how I've been navigating most of this year. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll have more with Shar about who she's hoping to see on screen and how she navigates media in a maddening world. Then I'll have one quick thing before I go about the new movie, she Regrettable title, exciting trailer. We're gonna get into it at the end. Shouts out to friend of the pod, Isabel Furman, with a new movie out. Stick around, everybody. One quick thing at the end. 
Oh my gosh, hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games, like one where I describe a show using Limerick, and our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game, and brilliant guests who come play you. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave, so try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, a big business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians? Yes, Troubled Waters is the answer. To this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that. But you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. J. Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast? Go fact yourself. No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. A live audience. Woohoo! Well, lucky for you listeners, Go Fact Yourself has brand new episodes featuring live audiences cheering on guests every month. And we still have all of our Zoom episodes with contestants and experts from around the world. We can truly have it all. Yay! You can hear it all twice a month, every month, on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. Back to Feeling Seen. This week I'm talking with Shar Jossel, accomplished freelance journalist and co-host of the We See Each Other miniseries here on Maximum Fun. Let's get back to that conversation. It's about independence. This is a demonstration of her independence to you. What she's really trying to tell you is that at this point in her life, you can't do nothing for her. You can't even buy her damn dinner. <laughs> She'd rather starve before you come out the pipe. That's deep, bro. <laughs> that, that, that's some really deep shit right there, man. As a journalist, as somebody so steeped in, in entertainment and pop culture, a thing I wanted to ask you about was this movie as a part of an era of a very fruitful time in black cinema where it seems like there was allowed to be a black cinema economy that mm-hmm. was not rooted in its difference from whiteness but was simply black people living their lives. There's like, obviously like the incredible rom-com stretch where we have there with like, you know, we, the best man and, yes. and, and this movie and Brown Sugar. Brown like, Sugar. Th- and-, and yes. And the films of Rick Famuyiwa, the films of F. Gary Gray, like the era of Morris Chestnut and Tay Diggs and yes. the era of Nia Long and Sonalathan continues yes. on uninterrupted. Yes. There's something about just like, the unshowy joy of even like an agony, you know, in some senses, like with the new queer cinema movement in the 90s, there's almost like this activism strain of cinema that when you watch it, like with Black Cinema, it doesn't feel like activism. It just simply feels like Black creators getting to make stories by and about and for themselves, mm-hmm. as opposed to now, the idea of seeing like a Black ensemble comedy in the way that they were so proliferate around the late 90s into early 2000s. Now it feels like a, hey guys, we're planting a flag. Yeah. And like, we're doing something. Yeah. Versus at the time, it seemed like those movies were allowed to exist more unencumbered from the strings of, hey guys, it's visibility time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's the wood. It's message like, time. <laughs> yeah, it was just the wood. Yeah. Like, that's all it was. Yeah. And I wanted to hear from you as a, you know, millennial growing up, the difference maybe between experiencing that stuff in real time and then seeing in retrospect how it fits with what we do now in film 
and and like a black ensemble story or how it is in contrast to it i think it's in contrast you know yeah. I, I mean much of what you said covered the basis it's we did go through a period in time where black people on screen were just allowed to exist there was no trauma there were no specific tropes um and i've honestly been praying as, as someone who's intersectional i've been praying for that moment for trans people to happen mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i find that that always shows up whenever there's a trans character there's an abc or there's yeah. We're, we're not seeing stories of trans people just, you know, g- grabbing a cup of coffee with their friend, doing things that I do and doing things that yeah. I know that other trans people do. I, we're stressed about bills. It's not about and me being stressed about the the light bill is not linked to my father throwing me in the trash can when he <laughs> caught me playing in a wig, you know, so yeah. I can't yeah. wait <laughs> till we get to that place. But I think that it is in contrast. And I don't know if that's a function of the conversation where we are today, but everything mm-hmm. does feel like a very ABC preachy teachy, as you mentioned at the top of the show, very 101, 102 yeah. versus showing the realities. And and that's also what kind of gets under my skin because you know, what's the saying? He who controls the media controls the mind. And so if people keep getting fed one specific image of one specific demographic, mm-hmm. that then informs how they then will you know, uh, engage with and interact with it, mm-hmm. with those people. And so and so those stories were pivotal for us at the time, because prior mm-hmm. to that, we either had a lot of traumatic stories. I mean, slave movies aren't going anywhere. People like slave movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we got a lot of slave narratives or we got these narratives of like black men incarceration, black women, baby mamas. And what mm-hmm. that window of time did between like late 90s, early 2000s with this surge of rom-coms and like yeah. black people in their 20s and 30s just living and loving, that shook all of that up. And so mm-hmm. I think that where we are right now is it has a slither of that showing up, like Insecure on HBO, Issa Rae's show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was still just black people just existing. I was thinking of like, I was like, wow, watching the, like seeing the strings directly connecting from Two Can Play That Game to Insecure was yeah. like, that's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these works of art still exist, but we are mm-hmm. in a very preachy teachy which again Mm -hmm. I don't understand but this is what people want that's what I have to to realize when I criticize like trans art for example that's that's Mm -hmm. upheld it's not a critic it's not an indictment on the filmmaker it's not an indictment Mm -hmm. on the people who choose to to act or participate in this art it's an Mm -hmm. indictment on who's signing the checks because I know for a fact that that there are trans creators and LGBT creators that have come to the table with Mm -hmm. just having a trans character be a trans character and the people yeah. writing the checks are like, Mm-mm, we need a rewrite. We need some trauma. We need because that is what, yeah. you know, they want to see. And that's what I think also tears people up when they come across different trans people or they think they've never met a trans person. Right. right? Yeah. They think. It, they right. Think. Right. You don't know <laughs> that that Barbara, who's your co-worker, is a trans woman. She's 65 mm-hmm. now, but she transitioned at 22. And right. you don't know that because. I can't even blame you for not knowing that because yeah. her story has never been told, you know? And so um, 
And so, yeah, we're in a very weird place when it comes to to, to media, particularly as it pertains to certain intersections, because it's not just happening with black people or not just happening yeah. with trans people. It's happening with Asian communities, mm-hmm. la- Latino communities like it's it. That's just where we are, where we're back in this weird. I shouldn't even say back because we, we've never been here before with the ABCs and one, two, threes right, of, yeah. of representation and community. So it's it's interesting. It's weird. <laughs> in terms of just like from a career standpoint, is that something where it's like with there being like with it always having been an onslaught against trans folks and now that onslaught being even more intense and acute and more publicly waged and being like a full fucking platform mm-hmm. for a political party? Is there a difficult duty of care in your job where it's like, fuck, where do I balance my honest critique versus my protection of my community? Like, is the is the ABCs and one, two, threes aspect of it? Like, does that bring a weight to you and how you approach writing about things mm-hmm. or are you like no i will i will speak the truth of what i think about this and that's i, I have no conflicted feelings over that so here's the thing i'm gonna speak the truth regardless but i think yeah, yeah, yeah. that everything can be said it's just how you go about saying it sure, sure. and then on top of that you know again all roads lead back to how people navigate their personal politic so yeah. what might work for me might not work for this person my lived experience might not be a reflection of that and that's where we get in the weeds with this with every community because it's like you got mm-hmm, it wrong mm-hmm. that's not how did it but for that person maybe it is you know yeah. my- among, uh, certainly watch this plan all the time among queer people yes. like just like listen guys it's not just happy to be here anymore like we need to critique this on its terms for what it means to us yes. as a community and not just like what our straight family members will think of it when right they see it. right if my life were made into a movie there would be people that would have it, it might it, even if it wasn't based on me if there was a character loosely based on my story there would be people that pipe up and say that is not the black trans experience well according course, to yes. who you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying and so i i give grace but i'm i'm going to call a thing a thing especially if mm-hmm. if i feel if again this is my view and my opinion if mm-hmm. i'm reviewing something and i feel it to be utterly ridiculous or if i feel it to be harmful there are mm-hmm. stories that i have reviewed that have popped up that that highlight like scammers and and people <laughs> And, and there's nothing wrong with showing the full breadth of like mm-hmm. trans experience. Like I'm not someone who approaches art saying that all trans people in every depiction of art have to be the, the hero or good yeah. or because that is not the truth. However, mm-hmm. how is this piece of art contributing to the conversation? That mm-hmm, is what mm-hmm. I will say. If this mm-hmm. person is being depicted on screen, if this the one trans person on the most popular show is is viewed as a liar, a, a deceitful, a scammer, how is this hurting and harming at the same time or mm-hmm. if and um, the larger conversation? And that's how I'll approach it, because this is what people are seeing. If there's already limited visibility of trans people mm-hmm. and and the one trans person on the most popular show, and I'm just throwing this out theoretically, this isn't real, sure. but like, if it's something harmful and not just someone like existing, mm-hmm. um, how does this hurt or harm the conversation? And like Euphoria, I know people have their issues with that show, but the way Jules is depicted, Jules is an anti-hero. People hate Jules because of the way she treats Rue. However, mm-hmm. I don't view Jules as problematic because we got I a backstory on Jules. I personally love her, but... Yeah, <laughs> but we saw her backstory and we see mm-hmm. what she... I can relate to Jules with her relationship with Nate because as mm-hmm. a girl who's lived the life, there has been Nates in my life that have shown up in different ways. So that's that's what draws me in specifically to Jules, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, and and was moving me to tears sometimes watching those episodes yeah. because it, they're different facets. And, and that's why I think it's important to make characters multidimensional because someone mm-hmm. will get something. We all get different interpretations from what we see on screen. And so I don't know if I answered your question. I think I did, but I might've taken the long <laughs> way around. <laughs> I often take the long way around to my questions and my answers. So I can, I appreciate the journey to what gets us to where we are. Yeah, yeah. Rule number two, never let your girlfriends know the whole situation because all they'll do is give you bad advice and that'll ruin your confidence. And confidence is key. Rule number three, and it's an old rule, break up with him before he breaks up with you. Whoever breaks up with the person first wins. In, in the point is specifically of like Shantae, did you relate when you're watching this as a, as a middle schooler? I think, yeah. did you relate to this like these rules based way of operating <laughs> for Shantae at the time? Like, yes, at the yes, time. Okay, okay. Yes, I was a child, and like I said, mentioned I am a rigid earth sign. Well, I can be a rigid <laughs> earth sign, and so it, it even took a lot for me. It took me up until 33 to embrace the gray areas of life because that's also yeah. how I was raised. I should mention I was raised by two earth signs. I don't know if you subscribe okay. to the astrology of it all. So I was raised in a very rule-based yeah. household. There was black and white. And what I realized that I had to embrace as I got older is the gray areas of life. And even with mm-hmm. Shantae, like you mentioned, Shantae's rules, those are mm-hmm. not uh, matter of facts. Those yeah. are suggestions because mm-hmm. the pendulum could swing either way. And so, but it's her confidence, it's Shantae's confidence that makes it a matter of fact. If he does <laughs> yeah. this, girl, you do that. And if and if you do that, he'll definitely do that. Like it was that, you know? Definitely. I, yeah, I related to that. And so, uh, and so that meant a lot to me. Vivica's visibility, the way that in which she portrayed that character and was kind of mm-hmm. like this mother figure to her friends oh, and, yeah. and running up against Connie Spaulding, who was Gabrielle Union's character, who everyone loves. Um, I, I did. I When I was listening to Two We See Each Other and this got brought up and you were like, <laughs> the big movie for me. And Travel was like, oh, you were Connie? No. And you were like, I was Shantae. I but was I Shantae. <laughs> Connie was trifling. No, Travel tried me. Travel tried I mean, me with that. I was that. like, wow, what, is, what does Travel know that makes her a Connie? Because that's extremely interesting to me. Connie Spaulding, Vice President of Marketing and a bona fide hoe. Hey, Connie. Hey, girl. How you been? Fine. Where you headed? Up there to see your man. Is he up there? Oh, he's up there. Let me go hard that Negro. Okay. Okay. Bye, sweetie. <laughs> Bitch. Congratulations on being an, uh, a supposed Connie. Listen, we all have different sides to us. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'm like, no, I am not the type. Let me go holler at your man. Like, I can be that type. You know, I can be. But I saw myself in in Shantae and all of her successes and mm-hmm. and awards and like dealing with this man. But now, you know, in adulthood, I'm like, anybody who's acting unclear. Is you as an award winning journalist, as an a Shantae. Thank you. Thank in you. your own right, yes. I don't have the convertible in the nice house that she had, but <laughs> and I also realized that's a fairy tale because I think they were in their mid to late twenties in that film. She's twenty eight. She says she's twenty eight years crazy, old. Crazy, crazy. And I even think about like <laughs> sitcoms like Girlfriends. Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross's character was like twenty eight, twenty nine, and was already partner at a law firm or trying to be <laughs> like those those unrealistic expectations uh, that yeah. they fed us as millennials. Oh my! Really God. tore me up in adulthood. It really tore yeah. me up. It really tore mm-hmm. me up. And so, 
um, you know, to to evoke insecure again, like Issa's journey is more so realistic to the millennial journey, like what she was yeah. doing in nonprofit and trying to get her life together. And so, um, yes, all in all, Shantae, I gravitated to her because of just her positioning and the kind of, kind of I'm going to be honest, the kind of know-it-all-ness of it sure. all. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's a lot of who I was at the time. I'm getting the grades and I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, I'm always thirsty. That's why I'm a journalist, a natural curiosity, yep. a, a thirst mm-hmm. for knowledge. And so, uh, yeah, that movie really, really shook me. It really shook me. I, I Like I mentioned, I went to the mirror and I was like, I know I don't want to have the goatee and the briefcase and to be running around with mm-hmm. Morris Chestnut and Anthony Anderson trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I also know that I don't like women. I'm not attracted to women. So then, because <laughs> yeah. they don't show, it's so binary, they don't even show how someone who might be gay would function yeah. in that friend group. And yeah. so um, the movie did what it was supposed to do at the time. It's very yeah. entertaining. I like it's still yes. one of my favorite movies. It was on Netflix about a year or so ago and I rewatched it and realized how ridiculous it was, you know, now that I'm an <laughs> yeah. adult. I'm like, this is still, it has a good entertainment factor, but it's ridiculous. Um, yes. And so, and I even think about films as we were speaking about like this, I guess, black renaissance with films of of rom-com genre. Mm-hmm. I think about the brothers that had mm-hmm. Bill Bellamy and Shamar Moore and and, mm-hmm. and D.L. Hughley. And I can't remember the other person. It was four of God, them. Shamar Morris Moore, Chestnut. A... He was the fourth one. And Gabrielle Union's <laughs> in that film as well. She and I feel Morris... like it's almost, it's almost hard to remember Morris Chestnut in those because it's like, couldn't be Morris Chestnut again. It's like, nope, it's Morris <laughs> no. Chestnut again. He sure was is. in all of them. And so that, that film highlights like, what black manhood looked like at the time yeah. like that bonding and even the messiness of relationships so I felt like that was like the answer kind of sort of to who can play that game even though it's a totally mm-hmm. different film with a totally different premise to mm-hmm. show that quartet of four men because remember in two can play that game it wasn't a quartet of four men it was just yeah. two and it was a quartet mm-hmm. of women and yeah. so uh yeah, yeah, I'm kind of rambling now, but all of these movies are coming to, to to surface for me that I enjoyed at the time, but also films that helped shape me. Like even, you know, you're hearing additional perspectives. Like I don't hear what men think about women really. And so it's like, <laughs> yeah. these rules yeah. apply like, you know, or some of these dated, like, you know, how do you know if he really loves you? If there's one piece of chicken on the plate and instead of eating it he offers it to you like that was one yeah. of the things in the brothers between morris and gabby yeah. and jennifer lewis was their mom <laughs> and stuff so well okay i guess then to, to bring it to the conclusion i would say like talking about the fruitfulness of this era in the 90s around around two can play that game and movies in that vein uh-huh. and in your year of joy where do you find consistently hopefully consistently if anything that joy in present day mm-hmm. media that is feeding you, that is sustaining your spirit, not sitting upon it heavily where you feel like you're not having to do rationalizations around it, but like steeped in entertainment culture for all this time. Like you're like, you know, but I'm glad that I have this to look to that encourages me for what is possible for what more I would like to see. Mm, that's a great question. Uh, for media for me looks totally different now. Um, I used to watch Good Morning America every morning. That was the the oh. morning show that I was that I chose for myself in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about with Diane Sawyer and Charlie Gibson <laughs> as the lead anchors. <laughs> like I used to watch Good Morning America every morning. I stopped watching the news. 
Um, mm. I was watching the readout because of Joanne Reed and her visibility and the history that she made. I stopped watching yeah. that. I pretty much stopped watching all news and I get shocked when I get online and I'm like, oh, this happened, you know. Um, yeah. But I, there are certain talk shows that I will not abandon. I watch The View every single day because that is one All of my right. that's one of my dream jobs. You know, I, I practice <laughs> my walkout. I'm ready for the call. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to. So I, I watch The View because that is the, for me um, how I find joy in media, because that's something that that's a show I grew up on. And yeah. I remember being in high school and I used to call myself out. I used to imitate my mother's voice and I would call myself out because my junior year, second semester, my first two classes were PE and like algebra. I'm not uh-huh. going to that. I'm not, especially on those <laughs> block days. And so I would wake up and I would watch Good Morning America. And then in Chicago, Oprah came on at 9 a.m. instead of 4 p.m. So Oprah was on and then I'd watch The View and then I'd go to school. And Mm -hmm. so when I think back to The View and there are many iterations of the cast and the drama. Oh, God. Yeah, I know that that feels even in the topsy turviness of the world and with them honing in on politics and stuff. It's something about that show that still feels like an embrace to me. And of course, the visibility of Whoopi. I grew up on Whoopi as an actress. And now like she is the moderator, a.k.a. Now, granted, we don't always agree. Sometimes Whoopi get on my damn nerves. Yeah. But there's something familial about Whoopi. The color purple, Mm -hmm. sister act, Lion King. Like I grew up with this voice and now Mm -hmm. she's the moderator in my adult life. And so (laughs) and so that that's pretty much how it shows up for me. I've been shielding myself a lot. And Mm -hmm. it's greatly helped with my mental health. I do Mm -hmm. not feel the pressure to be visible, which is created in in the gig economy. I'm a freelancer. You're a journalist. Be visible. Post every interview post, which I do. But like, I realized that so much of that was performance for me. So much of like, oh, got to do the reels or you post, you do an Instagram post three times a week. It has to be at 2 p.m. for maximum visibility and make sure you get the most light. And I just, I don't have the the energy for that. And I think that I just eventually hit hit a breaking point. And this year for me has been what I love most about it. I've been relaxed. And so mm-hmm. it hasn't been a, a war. I haven't been at war with myself. Like you should be online right now. You should be mm-hmm. reading. Like I'm still informed. I'll read. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still informed. But the piece that I have found has not involved the internet. I, I'm watching mm-hmm. documentaries. I'm, I'm a big book reader, as you've heard on the podcast. I prefer yes, physical yes. books because physical mm-hmm. books remind me of grade school they remind me of i love flipping a page like i mm-hmm. i listen to podcasts so i'm not really an audiobook girl unless i mm-hmm. absolutely have to but i enjoy a physical book with a highlighter mm-hmm. and a bookmark and smelling the pages and i know i'm uh aging myself by saying this but <laughs> it's something like younger than me keep going get your e-reader away from me i prefer <laughs> changing like flipping the pages and so for me, these are just things that that I'm able to pour into myself and mm-hmm. it's been helpful. So I've still been informed. I still know what's yeah. going on and I'll get quick hits like the view gives me quick hits. And yeah, then yeah. I can then go do my own research and dig a little deeper. But like like I said, you know, Elon's Twitter is not a Twitter for me. I'm, I'm rarely yeah. on there. You realize that everyone's looking for confirmation bias. So if you believe mm-hmm. that all trans women are these terrible people lurking in bathrooms, you will filter out everything until that one story pops up and yep. you're going to run with it. And so for me, it just after a while, it felt like yelling into the void. 
And I don't have yeah. the energy for that because people are going to believe what they want to believe. That's why Fox News still has a bustling audience. And mm-hmm. just with like, you know, like I said, journalist to journalist, there's certain ethics and certain things that we were taught that just seem mm-hmm. totally tossed out of the window right now. And mm-hmm. where where's a soft space to land? So, yeah, it's 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 as a journalist and as also oh. as someone who is black and a woman and who is trans functioning in the United States. That's how I'm finding my joy, which is reciprocal friendships, making sure I pour mm-hmm. into people who pour into me mm-hmm. and and keeping my head on straight, Jordan. Like it's, it's a lot. As you know, it's a lot out here going on right now. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot for me and it's not nearly as much for me as it is for you. So Jesus fucking Christ, congratulations on being here at all. (laughs) Thank you. I I mean, so like I will, I have to relinquish you to time, but I would like to send it off on just thanking you for being here at all and thanking you for being on this show and being so generous with your time with me. I was really looking forward to seeing wherever this conversation would go because I always get so excited (laughs) to talk to people in media because it's like, you think about this stuff like I think about this stuff. So I really appreciate the chance to get to do the comparative literature analysis of black ensemble rom-coms in the millennial era with now that's very satisfying well thank you again so much for having me this has been fun it has filled my cup up on this morning it's been great (laughs) and for those of you who have not yet witnessed the greatness of two can play that game i implore you to check it out let me know find me on socials let me know what you think about Shantae Smith and what she was out there doing (laughs) I can't believe that made that movie at the very end made me root for a man I was like I'm with Keith I know I don't don't give it away Jordan don't give it away don't give it away (laughs) that that can't tell you anything guys because if you've listened to this show at all you would know that there's no explaining why Jordan would be rooting for the man in anything (laughs) that should tempt you to be like wow I should fucking watch this movie what is Vivica doing in this film Thank you for your time, Char. Char Jossel, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks once again to Char Jossel. If you haven't seen Two Can Play That Game, it's out there on streaming. It's on Prime, so check it out. Uh, it's, It's so worth your time. What, God, when you want to miss the 90s and those early 2000s, that sweet spot of cinema... Two can play that game. The final episode of We See Each Other, the podcast, just came out this week, so you can listen to that entire thing and enjoy even more of Char's wisdom alongside additional friend of the show, Travel Anderson. So please, keep it in-house. Support us all. Just get get all that dialogue in the mix. Get all that discourse in your head and, and be better for it. And now, my one quick thing before I go. I haven't seen this yet, guys. Full disclosure, I have not seen it yet, but the movie Sheroes, I remember seeing some promotion for this a number of months ago. And uh, because it had Isabel Furman in it and women fighting people, I, I banked it away in my mind. I didn't know when it was coming out, but turns out it is out right now. So I have not seen this movie yet. However, as I said just now, it stars Isabel Furman and Sasha Luce and Wallace Day. Uh, And this is about a group of four friends, four besties. I guess they're going on a vacation to Thailand. One of them gets kidnapped because they end up accidentally stealing a bag of drugs. So their friend gets kidnapped and they obviously have to go rescue her so that she doesn't get killed. And it involves them uh, becoming 
bad bitches carrying big guns and having to take on a bunch of henchmen? I, I, like, uh, uh, the wonderful uh, director of the Skylines films, Liam O'Donnell, uh, a friend, a fantastic person, he DM'd me over the weekend, which is how I became aware that this movie's actually out. And he sent me the trailer, and he was like, did you make this? And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? If I could pick a, if I could pick a career track for the rest of my life, it would be making a movie that looks like the trailer for Shiro's over and over again in perpetuity. Yes, that is exactly what I want. I want movies about women carrying big guns, saving their friends, and being besties, and protecting the sanctity of friendship. That's what I want. That's what my whole life to be. So obviously I'm going to watch this. Uh, I'm hopeful, at the very least, go Isabel Furman. We stand her on this pod. We support her on this pod. And hey, it's nice to update you guys every once in a while about what our previous guests are up to. So get out there and check out some Isabel. Um, and Sasha Luce, the star of Anna, is also in this. And uh, she deserves better than that movie. Uh, an utterly boring effort by Luke Besson. So let's hope she gets to have more fun in this. She rose. A title that, for better or worse, I would imagine will wheedle into your mind and stay there because it's a bit cringe. But you know what? Doesn't matter. We're going to go in for it. Uh, women carrying guns, women fighting bad men uh, in the name of friendship. We love to see it. And that, what a perfect note to go out on for a Jordan Cruciola experience. That is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScenePodMaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.